going to come up and, and read the first part of that to us. Uh, we're going to split it into two. It's quite a long section of Daniel that we get to listen to today. The reading is from Daniel uh, uh, 2, and this time it's 1 to 23. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king... He said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I not want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what was asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Thanks, Celia. On, on that cliffhanger, we're going to pause there. and We're going to sing together a song called Above All. Um, give us the rest of our, our reading, and then Ben's going to come up and take us through what, what that means for us. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man amongst the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. You are lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may note the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue 
became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beast of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, (coughs) strong as iron, For iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay." As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Celia, thank you so much. That was a, a long reading and, um, uh, and beautifully read, so thank you. Um, I'm just going to lead us in a, a, a quick prayer as we spend time looking at that reading, um, but please do uh, keep it open. It'll be really helpful for you as you go through uh, these words are God's words, and, uh, and we want to hear from him. So let's uh, make sure that we're looking at them. But should we pray together? 
Father God, I'm, I'm really aware, actually, as I, I come to this um, passage, that I really need you to be at work. That's true all the time, but this week um, I've felt particularly aware of that. Um, Father, unless you come and speak, then ultimately we're, we're, we're faced with a task more impossible than that which Nebuchadnezzar gave his, his wise man. Uh, Father, because I can't change people's hearts and, and minds, I can't do that, I can't speak your word, you can do that. And you can do that through me now. And so I pray that you'd do that. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us that you'd do that miraculous thing of speaking your word into our hearts in all sorts of different places, all sorts of different ways in which we'll interact with this passage. Um, would, you, would you do that by your spirit? Would you draw us to your son? For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. That's from Spider-Man. Uh, but it's become a bit of a, um, it's become a, almost a kind of a modern day proverb. With great power comes great responsibility. I wonder whether this passage, though, it, it kind of challenges. I think if we were to look at this passage, we would probably say more closely, uh, with great human power comes great insecurity. With great human power comes great insecurity. Last week, if, if you weren't with us, we started in the book of Daniel. We looked uh, and we saw that uh, there were God's people uh, and they were, um, they were invaded. They were overcome by the, the mighty empire of Babylon. Uh, a number of uh, the kind of wise people went into kind of re-education camps. Uh, and Daniel was one of them. He was a, an exile from, from that area. Um, and, uh, and, and he was in this kind of re-education regime under a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful king. Uh, in fact, there are very few people in history who can rival the power and influence of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the emperor over the entire Babylonian empire. That would have made Queen Elizabeth's empire look like small fry. Uh, he was powerful on a state that would have made the Russian czars, uh, well, look weak. He would have made the superpowers of this world today look like they were only partially influential. This was a powerful, powerful man. And with great human power comes great insecurity. The most powerful man in the world uh, who can say, jump, and nations across continents would say how high. He can't control his own dreams. Verse 1, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams in his mind that, and his mind was troubled. He couldn't sleep. The most powerful man in the world couldn't sleep. And so what does he do? Well, he does what powerful people do. He tries to get it sorted out. He says, okay, well, you know, if I, uh, uh, if, if I want a fire, I get somebody to light a fire for me. If I'm hungry, I get somebody to make me a, a Babylonian burger. If, I'm, uh, if, if I've got troubled sleep, what do I do? I get my wise people to come. So he gets his wise people to come. They'll sort it out for him. They say, just tell us the, tell us the dream. We'll, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll tell you what it means. But here's where we begin to get a bit of an idea of just how troubled Nebuchadnezzar is because, well, he doesn't want to tell them his dream, does he? Verse 4, they say, may the king live forever. Tell the servants your dream. We'll interpret it. Verse 8, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize this is what I've firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. He says, uh, look, 
enchanters, uh, you wise people, you need to tell me the dream, and then I will, uh, and then I'll, um, th- th- then you can interpret it for me. Then I know that you actually know the dream. He's suspicious. He says, verse nine. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. The most powerful man in the world, he's suspicious of the people that he's brought in to help him. So he sets them this difficult task. In fact, this impossible task. Tell me, tell me the dream. I don't know if you've ever played those games. We often do it on long car journeys. You know, I've, I've hidden a thimble somewhere in the world. And I'll give you 40 questions and you can say yes and no. This is like the infinitely more difficult version of that. I, I've had a dream. Tell me what it was. I mean, it's to, read my mind. Tell me what it this is. This is totally impossible. His, his wise men, they say, look, we can't do this. No king has ever asked anybody to do anything like this. This is totally impossible. The only people who could help you out are the gods. And well, you know, who's to know what they think, he says. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. He's suspicious. And actually, that should challenge us slightly, shouldn't it? Because we live in a world, we live in a world that so often presents uh, power, or, or at least kind of being at the center of things, as the solution, doesn't it? The idea that we kind of, uh, we work in the dog-eat-dog world until we get to that place of influence uh, and then we can be at rest. Uh, Once once I get to set the agenda, uh, once I'm in control, then things will be okay, we think. Uh, Then I kind of rise above it. Yet this passage would say, well, really? With human power, that doesn't seem to be the case. Just look at the infighting amongst the Tories during the Tory leadership contest. Actually, what was happening there as people were approaching power wasn't, wasn't tranquility, was it? But it was unrest. In fact, throughout history, as we look, uh, we see again and again, don't we? Kings uh, who come to power and they get suspicious of those around them. Et tu, Brutus? We become suspicious. Why? Because power becomes this thing that, uh, that we want. And then when we get it, we want to hold on to it. And it's... Insecure because human power is always fleeting. Why is it that the king's commanders come to him and they say, Oh, king, live forever? They're trying to appease him. They're trying to say, Look, nobody's going to take your power. You're, you're going to live forever. It's, it's okay. And the problem is that, like a cat on your lap, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this, and you had a cat on your lap and you pick them up to put them down and they don't want to be put down, what do they do? stick their claws into you, don't they? And, and, and you're like, how? That, that's not very pleasant. I don't like that very much. That's exactly what humans do with power. When we feel threatened, what do we do? We become brutal. What does King Nebuchadnezzar say? Tell, tell me the dream or, verse 5, this is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me what the dream is and what his interpretation is, I'll have you cut into pieces, literally body parts, and your houses turn to rubble. Tell me what the dream is, or I'll kill your friends and family. It's like something out of Hamilton, isn't it? It's, it's horrendous. It's brutal. And that's where human power can lead to. Because with great human power comes great insecurity. Some of us need to hear that, because for some of us, we're beginning to buy into that idea. If only I get the power. 
But actually, others of us are here today, and we see human power, and it's scary. We've watched the news recently as a superpower invades another country. As a man says, I've asked to put the nuclear deterrent on red alert. And it fills us with fear, doesn't it? There was a time when we looked and we thought, what, what is the age for conscription here in the UK? Are, are we heading towards World War III? This is scary. And if that's our attitude to power, then we need to see what Daniel does. You see, for Daniel, we, we, we read it, but this would have been a terrifying situation, wouldn't it? Uh, the king's there, he's, he's lost it with his wise men. He says, right, kill them all. And Daniel hears you and all your friends all your classmates, you're heading towards death. In fact, the most powerful man in the world wants you dead. That's a scary place to be. That, that's not just a theory for Daniel at this point. And so what does he do? Well, we, we're told uh, that he, he speaks to Arioch with, with wisdom. He goes and speaks to the king. Uh, verse 16, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. And then Daniel returns to his house. Uh, and explain the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And what do they do? They call a prayer meeting. Uh, they, they start praying. Now, now, prayer, it does two things. Uh, and those two things are great either if we're chasing after power ourselves or if we're afraid of power. Uh, the first thing it does is it shows us our powerlessness. It, it, it moves us out of the center of our world. Why? Well, because as Daniel's faced with this impossible task, he's faced with two options, isn't he? Either he tries to work it out himself, or he stops and he prays. Now, if there isn't a God who is in control of everything, if there isn't a God uh, who's actually the one in control, then praying is just a waste of time. But what Daniel does by stopping and praying, by getting his friends together, and, and instead of saying to, to his friends, okay, what we need to do is get together and, uh, and work on kind of dream consciousness books and see where Nebuchadnezzar's been and whether anything might show up in his, uh, in his subconscious overnight and try and work it out and then have a best guess. He says, no, what we're going to do is something which objectively, without God in the picture, makes absolutely no sense. He says, right, we're going to sit down and we're going to pray. Do you know, whenever we sit down and pray for something, if God isn't there, it makes no sense. And even if God is there, our temptation as Christians is to, buy, is to, is to step aside from this particular aspect of Christian life so often, isn't it? If something's the matter, if you're anything like me, you want to fix it. You want to get out there. You want to sort it out. This week, I'm embarrassed to say that one of the reasons that I struggled with this particular sermon this week is because so often I wanted to sort it out. I wanted to rush from read the passage, pray, uh, and then come on, let's, let's, think, let's, let's work this out. Let's break it down. Let's look at the... And actually, what I needed to do was I need to realize I don't have the power to do this. I, I, I don't know uh, what it is, what, what, what you're faced with, uh, but prayer shows you that you don't have the power to do it. 
You say, I, 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 can, I can sort out that particular issue. I can send that particular email. You, you don't have control over the next breath that you're going to take. You say, look at my track record. Look at, look at all that's gone well in my life. Look at all that I've achieved. As if that hasn't been given to you by the God who gives you every single breath. And then a prayer, it shows us that we're not in control. I was to somebody, um, a non-Christian whose family uh, were Christians, and, and they were laughing at the fact that their family always used to say, when things were bad, oh, uh, we'll, we'll pray for you. Um, as if it was that sort of pathetic, non-helping sort of remark. And chatting about it, thinking about it, talking to them about it, we saw that actually for, for the Christian to say, I will pray for you is not a, a sidestep. It's not a saying, I don't care about this. It's saying, I care so much about this that I know that I'm not the answer, but I know the one who is. That's a, what prayer does. It starts off by decentralizing us, by showing us that we can't do this on our own. It's a really helpful thing for us to do. The second thing it does is it shows us who is in control. If you like, it, it kind of zooms out on the situation. It's a bit like this. Um, if, um, if you imagine that you had a, a mouse uh, and a cat, uh, and you look at that particular situation, uh, the mouse and the cat are right there, uh, you kind of feel for the mouse, don't you? Because the mouse looks at the cat, and the cat is big, and the cat is scary, and it's got teeth. Uh, I'm really in for cats today, aren't I? Um, but it's, it, it looks scary to this cat, to this poor mouse. But then you kind of zoom back, and you see that behind the cat is the Alsatian with its teeth bared. And all of a sudden, you realize it's the cat that needs to run in this situation. That's a rubbish example. But, but actually, that's what's going on in prayer. As Daniel sits with his friends, as they come uh, to pray to God, what happens is that the, uh, the, the camera angle zooms out. Uh, so, so Daniel, he sees, yes, Nebuchadnezzar is big and scary, but wait a second, there is one who is truly in control. There is a king of kings and a lord of lords who is behind him. There's the Alsatian behind the cat. And all of a sudden, it changes the situation. And that's important for us if we're here and we are afraid of people like Putin. We need to recognize that, yes, he is big and scary. And yes, some of those words are big and scary and the power that he has is big and scary. But there's a big Alsatian behind him. He is just a mere little pussycat. There is a God who is truly in control, who we come to when we pray. And that's the God who, as Daniel sees, is the God who sets up kings and deposes them. There's one last little thing to say on this before we move on to the dream itself. And that's um, I love that Daniel, I love that Daniel, he spends time in prayer and then he gets the kind of vision in his head. He, he understands it. And the next day, he doesn't do what I would do. Like he's learned the lesson of actually praying. He, he, he doesn't run straight off to the in, insane king who's about to go and chop him into his body parts. He, 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 he doesn't run straight to the king. What does he do? He stops and he prays and he praises God because he knows that it's God who's done this. It's God who has revealed the mystery. In fact, we're going to find out that the mystery that he reveals is not so much the dream, but that he is a God who reveals mysteries. He is a God whose kingdom uh, endures. So Daniel, that's the first thing Daniel does. He, does, he, he praises God 
uh, at the answer to prayer. Uh, the next confusing thing that he does, and this is partly why I think he, he's got that picture of the Alsatian behind the cat thing in his head, uh, is that then he goes to the king, and, and uh, I'm cutting a long story short, we've, we've heard it read, um, but, but the king says to him, are you able, verse 26, to tell me what I saw in the dream and to interpret it? Stop there. If that's you, what do you answer? Insane king, wants to kill everyone, already lost it with, with, the, with his guards, totally insecure. You say, yeah, actually I do. Chill out, it's okay. A king, live forever. Um, let me tell you the answer to your, to your dream. But he doesn't. Are you able to tell me? Verse 27, no. No wise man or enchanter or musician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. It's a dangerous tactic, isn't it? But what Daniel is doing here is he's showing the king, hey, look, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a mouse. I know you're, you're a pussycat, but hey, there's an Alsatian that I want you to know about here. There's an Alsatian that you need to know about here. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's showing King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your head uh, as you're lying in your bed are these. And then he goes on and explains the dream, doesn't he? Uh, he says, look, uh, this is what it was. There was, uh, there was this idol statue that is there. Uh, the head, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. Gold. Beautiful gold. And you can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm the gold head. That's fine. I like that. And then Daniel says the two scariest words that King Nebuchadnezzar probably ever heard. Verse 39. After you. After you. Remember, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, the one uh, who's insecure about his power, the one who's brutally holding on to it, uh, the one who's, who doesn't want to be threatened, the one whose advisors say, live forever. Daniel says, after you, uh, th- th- there's going to come a time, Nebuchadnezzar, when you're not going to have this power anymore, when, when Babylon's not going to be a big thing anymore. Uh, after you, there was a, a, a really poignant moment on Monday, wasn't there, um, when the crown and the orb and the scepter that were on top of Her Majesty's coffin were lifted off and put on the table at the front of uh, that chapel. And it was really poignant, wasn't it? Because it was that moment of saying, the power is no longer hers. There is a, a power uh, that, that is going to be transferred to, to, to King, King Charles but it's that laying down of power. Human power is always, always temporary. After you, there'll be another kingdom. And what, what Daniel is doing is he's showing Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying, look, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the cat at the moment, but the Alsatian one day, he's going to take you out of the way and there'll be another cat that'll come in. There'll be another kingdom and another kingdom and another kingdom. And do you know what? God is going to set up each and every one of those. After you and your Babylonian kingdom, there'll be the, the Medes, the kingdom of the Medes, the kingdom of the Persians. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be the kingdom of the Greeks. 
uh, they'll, they'll look massive. They'll look, they'll look incredible with their, their military power and, and all their philosophy. They're going to be incredible. Then there's going to be the kingdom of the Romans and they're going to come along and they're going to look totally impregnable with those shields that you learn about in school. But do you know what? Each of those kingdoms is going to pass away. There are going to be school kids who sit there and say, why do I have to learn about Caecilius in Horto Laborat? Why do I have to learn old dead languages that don't exist anymore? There are going to be people who are going to walk around one day, Nebuchadnezzar, and they're going to look at things this big from your kingdom that have been dug up in the dirt somewhere and put in a museum for people to see. Your kingdom is not going to last forever. All kingdoms are going to come and are going to go because God sets up kings and deposes them. Hey, Putin, you look big and you look scary, but your kingdom is going to go. And there will be a day when people will read about this in the history books and they will say, yes, that was a scary time for people then. But God sets up kings and he deposes them. All kingdoms come and go. Oh, except one. Except one which uh, isn't a human kingdom. It it doesn't rest on human power. Uh, It doesn't, therefore, rest on insecurity. No, uh, this is the kingdom that is set by the rock. Verse 45, cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. This isn't a human kingdom. This is a kingdom that is set by God. This is a kingdom that looks unimpressive. It's no gold face. It's just a rock. But this kingdom is a kingdom that will outlast all the kingdoms of this world. This kingdom is a a kingdom that is fundamentally different. It's the kingdom that we will remember when we take communion in a few minutes' time. Why? Because God, he came and walked on this earth. The astrologers, they said, God doesn't, God don't live among men. Jesus says, yes, yes, I do. Jesus, the most powerful man in the world who never struggled with insecurity, who who was willing to hang out with people who definitely would reduce his social status. Uh, Jesus, the most powerful man in the world uh, who, when threatened with death, what does he do? He doesn't say, well, I'm going to cut you into pieces. I'm going to kill your friends and family. No, he goes to the cross in our place. Jesus, uh, who died but then was raised to life again so that the orb and the scepter never get taken off his coffin. Jesus, the Alsatian behind every pussycat that would scare us. So what? Well, I should draw to a close, but it might be that you're here today and you are grasping after power. If that is you, if you're believing that lie, if I can only get all my ducks in a row, if I can only get things revolving around me, see how insecure that place is. Know that whatever power you have, one day it will be laid down. If you're here today and you're afraid of power, come to prayer. Know that you are powerless, but know that you know the one who is in control of all. And it might just be that we're here today and maybe we don't know this Jesus. Maybe actually we're here and and if that's you, can I say thank you for coming? Thank you so much for coming. Please keep coming back. 
It's, it, it's, it's a wonderfully brave thing to come into a church family. We love it, and we love you, and we'd love to get to know you. If that is you, and you would say you don't know this king, can I tell you, this dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar so that he might come to know the God who reveals his kingdom. Maybe you're here today because God is revealing to you that he is the king who you need to come to know. The end of the story ends with King Nebuchadnezzar. And there he is, bowing down on his face before an exile, a a refugee. But really, he's bowing down before the king of kings, before the Alsatian who he realizes is bigger than he is. And maybe we too need to do that. And so we're going to do that in two ways. I'm going to pray. We've already heard praying is bowing down, isn't it, before that king. And then we're going to sing king of kings, majesty, singing of his kingdom. Actually, we're doing it in three ways. Then we're going to take communion, which reminds us of that kingdom built not on human power, but on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's pray together, shall we?